Welcome back to Women's Wealth, The Middle Way, the show that answers your questions about work, money, and family. My name is Susan McGlory Michael, and I am the CEO and founder of Glen Eagle, a wealth management firm in New Jersey. My name is Carol Ann Fernandez, and I'm the COO of Glen Eagle. We are very excited today to have our guest, Christina Lowry, CEO of Girl Rising, a nonprofit organization that uses the power of storytelling to change the way the world values girls and their education. Girl Rising tells stories about girls who face daunting barriers to their independence and stand up to them with determination and courage. Christina and Girl Rising hope to inform and inspire people to take action for girls and gender equality. Christina founded the organization in 2009, and then eight years later, she led its transition from a film production company to a nonprofit. In addition to being CEO of such an incredible nonprofit, Christina is also the mom of three children. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here today. We're very excited to have you, so thanks for joining us. I wanted to start with maybe just having you talk a little bit about where does your passion come from for educating, you know, middle school-aged boys and girls about gender equality? Yeah, well, one, I should just say as a point of clarification, I was part of the founding team that founded Girl Rising back in 2009, so there are co-founders. I did not found this organization alone. My dear colleague Gordon and Tom Yellen and Richard Robbins were also key members of the founding team. But my passion for this work really began when I was about 17 years old. And I convinced my parents to let me take a trip and work in an orphanage in Honduras. And it was really, it was the first time I had really been outside of the country. The first time I'd spent time in the developing world. And I had this light bulb or lightning bolt, one of the two, moment when I was there in which I became profoundly aware of the accident of birth that there was nothing that I had done to wound up in the family that I wound up in with deeply supportive parents who told me I could do anything I wanted to do and be anybody I wanted to be and had every kind of educational opportunity available to me. And there was nothing that these children at this orphanage had done to wind up in the circumstances that they wound up in without the very things that were perfectly normal to me. And I believed then and believe now that given that I was born into the circumstances I was, it meant that I had a great responsibility to help make the world a better place and to use my means and my circumstances to improve the lives of others. And my interest really at first was around how to tackle what are really complicated problems of poverty. And as I began working on Girl Rising and became more and more aware of the incredible power of educating girls and the benefits that come from educating girls, and I became more educated about the barriers that are keeping girls from being educated and understanding that while there are very specific kind of structural barriers, right? There are not enough schools in some places, or there are not enough teachers, or a family can't afford uniforms or books, 
there are also attitudinal barriers that are keeping girls from being in school or keeping girls from thriving once they're in school. And those attitudes are really in how girls are valued. How are they valued in societies? All too often, girls are valued for their bodies. They're valued as mothers-to-be and wives-in-waiting and inexpensive labor. They're not valued for their minds. Right. So I became more and more aware of gender inequality and the incredibly discriminatory norms that many, many girls grow up with. And that has led me to the work that we do now, which is to really target adolescent boys and girls. It's a time that neuroscience and scientists say in terms of brain development that there's this opportunity before some of those gender norms get really locked in and crystallized to change them, to challenge them. So anyway, that's a very long-winded answer of my circuitous journey to the work that I do today. No, that's amazing. Thanks for giving all that background. And I think you're so right that if we can educate at the younger levels, it definitely will help with having an overall change where sometimes by the time we try to go up to the corporations and things like that, it's a little bit harder. So that's great. Now, what made you guys have the idea to start with a movie and then kind of move towards the nonprofit? Yeah. So the founding team, the people that I mentioned, were all filmmakers and journalists. And we were working together at a documentary production company in New York City back in 2009. And we were approached by a funder who was interested in us exploring a project on how to end global poverty, right? That really tiny little subject, (laughs) how to end global poverty. And so we did what you do as a journalist. We went and we talked to the experts and we talked to practitioners and academics across the development spectrum from clean water to agriculture to HIV AIDS to maternal and child health to education. And what we heard really surprised us that somewhere in the list of top five things that any of them said needed to happen to improve outcomes in that sector was, well, really, you got to get girls in school and keep them there. And the future director of the film, Richard Robbins, was talking to an agricultural economist one day at the World Bank who said, have you looked at the data coming out of girls' education? And at the time, we hadn't. And so we did. And when we did, we were really doubly blown away. What we found was a mountain of evidence, deeply compelling evidence about all of the positive things that happen when you educate girls, that educated girls marry later, have fewer and healthier children. A girl who graduates from secondary school is six times less likely to be a child bride. A girl with every year of secondary school allows a girl to earn 10 to 20% more as an adult and on and on. And really critically, that educated girls are much more likely to educate their children. So beginning this generational positive ripple effect. So basically what we felt like what we uncovered was data that pointed to educating girls as the single most effective thing that we can do to end global poverty. And so we thought, well, if our job as journalists is to take a truth that's held by this little pocket of people um, and bring it to the broader public, then this is really the story of a lifetime. And we want to 
do what we do, which is make films. And yet we did something we hadn't ever done before. We as filmmakers had really always made films and then put them in the world for the audience to just do what they would in viewing it. With Girl Rising, we really created from the very beginning a strategy to use the film as a tool. At the time, we said we were aiming to change minds, change lives, and change policy. And I'm proud to say that we did all of those things. And in addition, really challenged ourselves to make a film that was not an ordinary kind of development film that was really deeply creative and that really importantly showed girls as the powerful agents of change that they are and did not show them as victims, although we didn't shy and, away and what's from... And what's the name of the film, Christina? So the name of the film is Girl Rising. It's called Girl Rising. Okay, that's easy. To and <laughs> yeah, you can go to our website and find it on our website. And that film came out in 2013 and had a theatrical release, aired on CNN International, and had a long life in screenings around the world and corporate screenings and community screenings. It's been translated into probably now over 35 languages and is the heart and soul of curriculum and educational tools that are also being used around the world. Just a month ago, it was translated into two Mayan languages for use in rural Guatemala with some partners that we're working with there. Yeah, so on that note, I know that you guys are, I think, currently in 11 countries. I assume you see a big difference across different countries on, you know, the education or just how people approach gender equality. But do you tend to have the same kind of way you're working in each country or are there differences that you could speak to a little bit about what you're seeing in that realm? Yeah, it's a really good question. We are actually, we just added another country. We're just beginning a pilot program in Ethiopia. So we're working in 12 countries actively with local partners. And yes, the work looks different country by country. We have developed in a couple of countries. We have a very highly structured six-month, 24-part curriculum for adolescent boys and girls. In other countries, we're using a still very highly structured but shorter 12-part curriculum. And in even other countries, we've tried something much smaller that many kinds of organizations could implement in their programming, and it's just about a month long. And really at the heart of our work in country are our deep collaborations with local partners. One of the things that we heard when we first began working in the developing world in 2014, 2015, was local partners who needed resources. They needed resources of all different kinds. Of course, they often need financial resources, but they also needed interesting, engaging tools and curriculum that helped them further their own goals. And one of those is helping girls and boys explore, pick apart, see gender and the issue of gender and what does gender discrimination look like and what is gender equality and how do we and they take action locally to improve gender equality. And so 
with that as what we were hearing, that our tools and these stories of girls around the world were useful in helping girls and boys understand the issues around the world that girls face and be able to talk about what does that look like locally? How does that present itself locally? For them to experience empathy in seeing these stories of girls that are deeply personal and begin to talk about how some of the things that happen in those girls' stories that they see if they experience some of those same things in their own lives, be it gender-based violence or a family that simply doesn't have the financial resource to send their children to school, to early marriage, to their a whole host of issues that the stories that are in the Girl Rising film touch upon, child labor and So what we see is while circumstances are different community by community, country by country, there are real universal experiences that girls all around the world face and that are very relatable. So a story about a girl in Nepal is very relatable to a girl in rural Guatemala. And also importantly, I should say, the work that we do with our partners on the ground is not just for girls. It is very much for boys, too. And we see that the power of stories and the utility of stories as a tool is really powerful in helping boys begin to understand this issue and see girls and see the issues in a different way and understand their own role in supporting girls and in supporting gender equality. That's great. I mean, as someone who works for a woman-owned firm and, you know, we're very focused on education, financial, literacy-wise towards especially women and girls, but it's so great to hear how much you're trying to help not only girls, but also boys, because I think it is a worldwide, you know, everyone needs to have a focus on this or we're not going to make much progress. So uh, I know we're running out of time, but I just wanted to finish with one last question. What's one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners, either who are trying to have conversation with their younger children about this issue or just maybe a piece of advice on how they can help in making the effect of gender equality throughout the world? You know what I would say is I challenge everybody to think about what is their superpower? What is their unique ability in the company that they sit in or the communities that they're in to address gender equality. I recently read a report that the World Economic Forum published in January of this year, and it's their gender gap report. They publish it every year. And in it, they said that from their studies, it appears that it will be a 100 years before the world reaches gender parity. And in some categories, they look at four different categories, in economic participation, economic opportunity, equal opportunity in the economic sphere, it will be 237 years. I may have gotten that, either 237 or 275, a really big number. And the United States and North America is actually very low on the list in terms of how quickly we will reach gender parity. And I think we all have 
a responsibility to educate ourselves about this issue and think about what can we do in our daily lives. It doesn't mean you have to go and join some huge organization and it doesn't mean that you have to march in the streets, but it does mean being thoughtful about how can each of us in our roles support women in their own career paths, ask for equal pay, ask for the raise that we need, talk to our kids about what this issue looks like around the world and empower our kids to make a difference. I have been probably the most impressed by the actions that young people all around the world, when they learn about inequality, what they come up with to do of their own accord, their own creativity. So how do we really talk to our kids in the right ways and empower them to make a difference? Because they're the ones that are the men and women of tomorrow. And so if we want a different tomorrow, if we want it to be less than 100 years and certainly less than 237, let's make sure we're giving our kids the tools and the resources and the knowledge to tackle this issue and to be gender equality champion from a young age. Yeah, and I think that's a great note to end on. And I know we all of our listeners and myself will be thinking, especially this week, about what is our superpower and how do we lower that number till the world reaches gender equality. So, Christina, thank you so much. You're such an inspiration and you're doing such great work, your organization and all your workers. So we really appreciate you joining us today and sharing a little bit about Girl Rising. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Women's Wealth, The Middle Way. Make sure to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday. See you in two weeks.